Good morning, I'm Weemala. Today is February 22nd, and it's a gray, drizzly, rainy, I think we had rain all night long, uh, but definitely a gray day today. So yesterday, finally, the sun came out, and it was a great day. I was able to have a nice long walk with a good friend who lives in my building, and uh, thank goodness we did, because we both felt great, and now today is drizzly and wet, so we may not take a walk today. Uh, I'm going to read today some from the Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree about voidness, sunyata. And I wanted to read something from my last book, Robert Thurman's book. I wanted to see what he had to say about it. And it's under his uh, realistic worldview. I don't know if we read that chapter completely. And when he's talking about that as part of the, our, our view, part of the wisdom that we, we develop. Thus the realistic worldview puts us on a path of gradual erosion of the fetters that are based on our distorted inner sense that what we really are is some kind of fixated, isolated, absolute self, problematically and temporarily enclosed in a relative and vulnerable body. This is, this is the way we come into the world thinking, dealing with potentially dangerous other relative beings and things, all of which are potentially troublesome for our intrinsically separate self. Once we keep our focus on our immersion in causal processes and examine all possible absolutes outside of relativity, we discover their emptiness of any separate existence. Our own sense of isolated existence dissolves and we realize the absoluteness of our participation in relativity which we can call the non-duality of absolute and relative. This is the discovery of the relative as the absolute by melting the projected absoluteness out of particular relatives. This is how wisdom becomes love. Uh, that wasn't as very easy for me to understand. My favorite expression, but this part you'll love, my favorite expression for this is Nagarjuna's famous Sunyata Karuna Garpan, emptiness as the womb of compassion, or you could call it freedom, the womb of love. As the Dalai Lama says about the benefit of the realistic view of non-dual freedom and relativity, through this understanding of interconnected reality, you come to realize that if good things happen to others, you will also benefit, if not immediately, then eventually. If you suffer, you eventually, if they suffer, you eventually suffer. Therefore, you are better able to emphasize with people from very different backgrounds. Compassion for them becomes easier. That's the Dalai Lama's way of saying it is the best, right? It's very simple, but we, we understand it that way. So, about what Robert Thurman 
So what I want you to do today, for some of you this may be, maybe you're not that interested in this teaching or you're tired of listening listening to me read to you. So um, I want you to just think of this when we're reading. If this isn't appealing to you, you can just sit and relax and be in a posture of meditation and just let the words come to you. You don't have to process them when you listen, process them as you listen to them. But see if as you're doing that, you can just relax the body into the process. Let it be an introduction when we stop. Uh, in about 15 minutes, we'll stop and sit together. But you can begin sitting now. This can be yeah, Jamie says it's a little, you're interested in, in the teaching, but it's a little confusing. And I might have confused you further by reading the part from Robert Thurman. So we'll try to, we'll try to take it. If it is confusing, see if you can just, uh, almost like chanting, just let your body relax and begin a, a meditative uh composure of your body and just let let the words come to you and don't worry about the uh, the meaning of everything so we're still in the fourth chapter all teachings are practices and this section is called nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I or mine I think this is where we left off, okay. The saying of the Buddha that deals with the practice regarding sunyata, or voidness, is the saying that is the heart of Buddhism. It requires our careful attention. And this is the part that he's saying, this is the core. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I or mine. If one amplifies the meaning a little, it may be rendered as no one should grasp at or cling to anything as being I or mine. No one means that there are no exceptions. Should grasp or cling means to give rise to ego consciousness. As being I refers to the feeling called eyeing. That's ahankara, the grasping at a soul or abiding ego entity. As being mine refers to the feeling called maying. Mamankara, the grasping at phenomena as being connected to ego. So don't feel eyeing or maying with regard to anything at all, starting from worthless specks of dust through valuable objects such as diamonds, sapphires, and gems, on to sexuality and sensuality, up to even higher things, namely Dhamma and its three aspects of learning, practice, and penetration. So we learn about the things that are true in the world, and then we practice them, and then that penetration is when, you know, we completely 
get it. We, we can actually transform our former sense of uh, reality. So the aspects are learning, practice, and penetration. And finally, the three levels of penetration. The path realizations, maga, their fruits, phala, and nibbana. Nothing whatsoever should be grasped at or clung to as being I or mine. This is the heart of Buddhism. The Buddha himself declared that this is the summation of all of the Tathagata's teaching. And remember, the Tathagata is another name for uh, the current Buddha, or whichever Buddha is current in the world. He said that to have heard the phrase Sabe Dhamma Nalang Abhini Vesaya is to have heard everything. To have put it into practice is to have practiced everything. And to have reaped its fruits is to have reaped every fruit. So we need not be afraid that there is too much for us to understand. When the Buddha compared the things that he had realized, which were as many as all the leaves in the forest, with those he taught his followers to practice, which were a single, that's that single handful. The single handful he referred to was just this principle of not grasping at or clinging to anything as being self or belonging to self. To hear this phrase is to hear everything, because all subjects are contained within it. Of all the things the Buddha taught, there wasn't one that didn't deal with dukkha, or suffering or stress, and the elimination of dukkha. Grasping and clinging is the cause of dukkha. Tickle in my throat this morning, sorry. When there is grasping and clinging, that is dukkha. When there is no grasping and clinging, that is being void of grasping and clinging. There is no dukkha. There is no stress. There is no suffering. The practice is to make the non-arising of grasping so that no grasping and clinging can ever return. Just that is enough. There is nothing else to do. There is nothing else to do because it'll probably take most of us the rest of our lives to, to get to that penetration level. All practices in one. one. And in quotes, he says, this practice is every practice. Can you think of anything that remains to be practiced? In a given given moment, if a person, whether Mr. Jones, Mrs. Smith, or anyone at all, has a mind free of grasping and clinging at that moment, what does the person have? Just think it over. We can see that the person has attained all the traditional practices. The triple refuge, giving, generosity virtuous conduct, sila, meditation, samadhi, the discernment of truth, panya, and even the path realizations, their fruit, and nibbana. (coughs) So, 
he's going to explain how we can see that that person has attained all the traditional practices. At that moment of non-grasping, one has certainly attained the first practice, that of the Triple Refuge. One has reached the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. For to have a heart free of the mental defilements and dukkha is to be one with the heart of the Triple Gem. One has reached them without having to chant Buddhang Saranang Gachami, crying out Buddhang Saranang Gachami, and so on, is just a ritual, a ceremony, an entrance, an external matter. It doesn't penetrate to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha in the heart. If at any moment a person has a mind void of grasping at or clinging to I and mind, even if only for an instant, the mind has realized voidness. The mind is clean, clear, and calm. It is one and the same as the heart of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. If there is a moment in which one's mind is void of I and mine, in that moment one has taken refuge and has reached the triple gem. The next practice is giving, dana, or making donations. The meaning of giving and sharing is to let go, to relinquish, and give away to end all grasping at and clinging to things as being I or mine. As for giving, in order to receive a much greater reward, such as giving a tiny amount and asking <laughs> and asking for a mansion up in heaven, that's not giving, it's just a business deal. Giving must have no strings attached. It must cast off the things that we grasp at and cling to as being I and mine. At the moment that one has a mind void of ego consciousness, supreme offering for self has been given up, what can there be left to give? When the I feeling has come to an end, the mind feeling will vanish by itself. Thus, at any moment that a person has a mind truly void of self, when even the self has been completely relinquished, he or she has developed giving to its perfection. <clears throat> to move on to virtuous conduct or ethics, sila, one whose mind is void and free of grasping and clinging to a self or possession of self, is one whose bodily and verbal actions are truly and perfectly virtuous. Any other sort of ethics or morality is just an up-and-down affair. We may make resolutions to refrain from this and abstain from that, but we can't keep them. <clears throat> it's up-and-down because we don't know how to let go of self and the possessions of self from the start. There being no freedom from self, there can be no real morality or normalcy. Or, if there is, it's inconsistent. 
It is not the virtuous conduct that is satisfying to the noble ones. It is still worldly morality, continually going up and down. It can never become transcendent morality. Whenever the mind is void, even if it's only for a moment or a day or a night, one has true sila for all of that time. That may be enough to read for today because we have several other points where he's talking about, uh, oh, we don't have that much to read, but it's not, we don't want to overdo it too. So he's talking about all of these. Uh, these are the 10 perfections he's talking about. <laughs> and so... We attain those ten perfections, even if it's only temporary, when we let go of that sense of I and mine, when we're not clinging to anything. So, okay. Thank you. People are making comments about uh, how much we read, how much we do. So thank you for that. True, or I'll read, uh, I'll simplify the rest of these paragraphs. The next practice is Panya, which we call wisdom. He calls it intuitive wisdom, the discernment of truth. Here we can see most clearly that knowing sunyata, realizing voidness, or being voidness itself, is the essence of wisdom. At the moment that the mind is void, it is supremely keen and discerning. In contrast, when delusion and ignorance envelop and enter the mind, causing grasping at or clinging to things as self or possessions of self, then there is supreme foolishness. If you think it over, we will easily and clearly, you will see it easily and clearly for yourself. There can be no foolishness. When the mind is void of foolishness, void of I and mine, there is perfect knowing or wisdom. So the wise say that sunyata, voidness, and panya, or satipana, mindfulness and wisdom, are one. It's not that they are two similar things. They are one and the same thing. True or perfect panya is voidness. Absence of the delusion that foolishly clings. Once the mind is rid of delusion, it discovers its primal state, the true original mind, which is panya or satipanya. So there's, it's very interesting. I want to read the rest, but I'll do it on Thursday. There, there are only... There are only two pages that we didn't read, but I want you to think about these. So what does, what does it mean to be eyeing and mying? And why is it that when we let that go, that we, we have attained Nibbana, even for that short little bit of time? Those can be those moments when we feel that perfection. So... Yes, that's, it's, it's, 
very uh, fascinating, and his reading is, we'll come back to that and finish those qualities. But you can begin to see, so if you think about, even even uh, when we have, when we think about the five aggregates, uh, perception is one of them. Perception is the way we see things, but it's based on being filtered through the I, the, the capital letter I, or mine, like my thoughts, my ideas, my education, it's my perception. You know, it's not seeing things clearly as they are, it's seeing things the way I've been conditioned to see things, or the way I condition myself to see things. So, um, even that, if we let go of seeing things that way, even for a moment, uh, we're seeing more clearly. So his examples, I think, are very helpful. So we'll read just these examples on Thursday. It can be really help, helpful, I think, in this section to get an idea of what he means when get, uh, getting rid of the I and mine uh, concepts and the way our mind works by being, when we can drop that completely, we've, uh, we've gotten we've gotten to that point of Nibbana, because we're seeing things as they really are, without, with all this stuff that we think of as who we are, and all of our conditioning, when we can let that go. Uh, so, we'll get there, and I think we'll all be happier, because we'll understand a concept that usually uh, ends up with sometimes lots of even debates about how people want to see it or define it. So if we can just understand it, um, if we can just understand it for ourselves and really begin to penetrate the concept, then we don't need to debate with anybody about it. We'll experience it. And that's what that penetration is. We can study it and we can, you know, work with it and learn it, but uh, it's when we can penetrate it. So we'll be cracking these <laughs> very hard nuts as we read a little bit at a time. So let's, um, I've used up a lot of time just to say that, so why don't we sit for a while, for about 10 minutes. And we can just let all of that go, because uh, we'll, you'll be thinking about it later and little Things may come to you that you want to ruminate on or contemplate on, but you don't need to do that during the meditation because this is just to help us be in the present moment and let our minds relax. So find that posture where your body really feels awake and feels lifted up. And we, we literally feel our spine lifting up. But then, you know, your whole presence, for me, my whole presence lifts up. And uh, trying to get things taken care of on the computer lately and having a weather where I haven't been out a whole lot, I can just feel things slipping down. So this is always a time when we practice, we can intentionally lift ourselves up. 
And remember to keep that neck straight, which that's part of what brings that chin down. We're thinking about that golden cord going through our spine. So we want to keep our head straight, not like I always say, I have a tendency to raise mine up. Keep it straight. Then just relax your arms any way you like in your lap. Roll your shoulders back. We want to create the biggest area for our lungs to breathe naturally. So just be aware of the body breathing. Close your eyes if you can. Just really be aware of the body. And we can call it the body. That helps us loosen a little bit of that attachment to it. Now just stay with the breath. And focus on the breath. It's a light focus. Because at the same time, we're also aware of what is coming to us through our sense doors. We've closed the sense door of the eyes just to give us a little break from being overly distracted. So keep a very light focus on the breath, each in-breath, each out-breath. I've opened. my patio door just to be able to hear the sounds of uh, cars driving in the rain and to hear sounds of the rain dripping from the eaves of the building. Just be aware of the essence of the everything coming into you. 
hear sound, be aware of, uh, you know, I'm aware of the air becoming cooler on my skin. Your, the contact your skin makes with your clothes, how your feet feel on the floor. Notice any fragrances. Notice if there's a taste in your mouth. Be aware of thoughts that are arising. See if you can just let the thoughts come and go and you can avoid becoming distracted by the stories they are creating in your mind. It's okay to let those thoughts go. They'll come back if they need to. And most of our thoughts are about I and mine. Be aware of the body. Be aware of being centered and grounded in your body.
Now as you go about your day, may everything that we do or say or think be done not only for our benefit, but extending ourselves out, seeing the connection we have with all of life. May we also do everything, say and think everything today for the benefit of all sentient beings, all beings everywhere, the beings who live with us and next door to us and in this country and on this planet, beings visible and invisible, beings being born and beings dying, and for all beings throughout the universe. So thank you for being here, and I'll hopefully see you on Thursday. Thank you.